Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Hotel California. Uh, that's funny. Well, praise the Lord. Well, it's so good to see you all tonight. And uh, thank you for singing, Ron, leading us to the throne. What a gift you are to the body. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're in First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. And uh, I, when we get to the praying, I've got some prayer objectives that we will address. I don't have prayer pieces tonight like I normally do, so um, I, I do have some things I think as a group we can break up and pray over. So um, does anyone need a handout before we go any further? Okay. Um, we're still working through this same old handout, but anyone else? You got need one, Brady? So no PowerPoints on Sunday night. We just do... The power of the point of God's word. So, all right. So we we have made our way through um, uh, the the long point. Uh, we're in number two under times like these. Uh, we got to point C, and uh, we're still kind of working on the, on that point as we finish that up. So I'm not going to backfill all those blanks. If you don't have them, you can go back and listen online. But I will pick up on point C, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's just read in our text, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9. Uh, the text says there, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be... Ref- uh, and nothing to be refused if it by if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer if that if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished up in words of faith and a good doctrine wherein thou hast attained but refuse profane and old wise fables and ex- and exercise thyself rather unto godliness so uh, we left off on that Point. The, the points there are a good minister exor- uh, ministers exercise good discernment. Good ministers exercise good discernment. Refuse profane and old wise fables because they are not part of a healthy diet. Uh, they're not part of a healthy diet. We, uh, we should have covered that. Um, point number two, a good minister um, uh, doesn't waste energy or time on these sort of things, but rather exercises himself unto godliness. Um, and so uh, we need to exercise and engage uh, our mind and emotion on living out what the Scripture says instead of a- uh, advertisements in the media uh, or a plot line to our favorite movie. Uh, the story of our lives should be found written in the pages of Scripture. So a good diet will produce good fruit, which is what we saw there in First Tim- or in Titus 3.8. Um, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 8 of Titus chapter 3. This is a faithful saying, and if these things... Uh, uh, a faithful saying, and these things uh, I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And so point number three, um, I think, yeah, we've got to point D is where we left off. Point number three, godliness is profitable because they bring a good reward. Following fables will not. So we talked about that, and there the references are there for you. And then number four, good ministers will receive godly counsel. Uh, verse 9. So that brings us to point D and uh, verse 10, which says, For therefore uh, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So many, many, many years, months ago, when I started teaching in First Timothy, I knew that this morning we would be in Exodus talking about... No, I didn't have a clue. So this just really... 
This really works out good, though, because verse 10 is dealing with uh, this very same thing, right? So, you know, we, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. When you look at that verse and, and really meditate on it, it's kind of, it's a little bit shocking, right? Um, and so a good minister, uh, a good minister... Uh, good ministers, I should say, have good actions. I don't know what your what's your blank your is it grammatically the grammar is incorrect. So a good minister um, must have good actions. But anyway, you can correct that. Actions is the word. You can correct the grammar. Um, and so uh, we both labor, which obviously is work for Christ's sake. Right. So our work is done for Christ's sake. So notice Paul doesn't say me or you. He says we. And uh, we are in this together, so we work together in a spirit of love and fidelity to our Lord Jesus Christ that gives us the grace to work and suffer reproach together. Right. So as you look at that text, it says we both labor and suffer reproach. So it's not just uh, Paul, it's Timothy. And it's not just Timothy, it's the church at Ephesus. And it's not just the church at Ephesus, it's the church at, at uh, Cass County in Harrisonville. Right. So it's all of us. We... Uh, we labor and we suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. Now, you would think in our culture, well, if you trust in the living God, you know, Crawfield Dollar told me there's a blessing in that. And there is. Uh, but that doesn't mean you won't suffer reproach. Right? And so um, I can't help what Mr. Dollar said or uh, T.G. Jakes or Joyce Myers or any of those people. Um, you know, they, they probably aren't reading First Timothy chapter 4. Uh, but Paul very clearly says in verse 10... That uh, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe, that's why they're in, involved in, in labor and suffering. Right? He's willing to pay that price to get the job done. And he counts it an honor. So it's a complete shift of the mindset. It's a minister's mindset, which it is a joy, it is an honor, it is a, it is a, it is a great joy to suffer for Christ's sake. Um, and it is. So notice Paul gives us the reason we labor and suffer together. Um, the reason we take long trips and invest in countless hours uh, of getting things ready for uh, ministry, uh, getting VBSs together, taking missions trips, uh, working on Bibles, mowing the lawn, painting the building, uh, working out in the... I mean, there's just so much to do uh, in ministry. Uh, going, Taking it to the streets. Uh, today, people went out, had good reports. Uh, you know, time put into lessons that go unnoticed, crafts and games that get done by uh, camps for the teens. I could just go on and on. Burning vacation time to be a vision conference or Bible conference, uh, working late in the night to assemble Bibles or, you know, uh, cut them or whatever the case may be. Um, uh, we do all of those things, um, you know, because we love the Lord. And it's why we take the heat from our friends and families who say, Don't you think you're going a little too far with this Jesus thing? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure many of you have heard that. Uh, I know I, I have, and I do, even recently. And so uh, the farther you go, the more the ante gets raised. And so, you know, uh, praise God, i got a good wife and good kids. And so when I leave the hospital and say, praise the Lord, your surgery went well, i got to go to Boston. <laughs> you know, I didn't get any feedback from my wife and my daughter. Uh, or my son, but I did get feedback from my family, and uh, and it wasn't good, right? So they don't see that as loving God. They see that as not loving God. If I, if I really love God, you'd stay there with your, your wife and your daughter, which I understand that. Actually, I'm empathetic and sympathetic to where they're coming from. And if they think it's easy to leave, they don't know Jesus. But uh, you do what you got to do because that's what God called you to do. 
Uh, if someone were a soldier in Iraq, they wouldn't think twice about that. But when you're a soldier for the Lord, he's just not worthy of our best, you know, and so, uh, or our sacrifice. So it's an interesting dy- dynamic that we get in. We suffer in different ways, and, and, um, uh, and it's not always easy to follow the Lord. There's a reproach that comes with following Jesus. Because, frankly, we just value him a lot more than a lot of people in the world. Even some people that are saved. And so, um, ever since I've been saved, people have been saying that. Don't you think you're taking this a little too far? And uh, the answer is absolutely not. You know, I think going to the cross is a pretty long way to go. So, so no, I don't think so. Um, what does he want? And that's what we should give him. You know, uh, because he deserves all. So, sometimes we feel isolated and alone when our friends don't think we understand what it means to to quote have fun right kind of a lower level maybe that entry level christian you know coming in they're they're faced with the dynamic of of uh, of that the social aspects of, of following christ can be very difficult for our teens for our students for junior high kids um I mean, I know students in our ministry right now that are facing difficulties because um, they have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I'm not talking about demonstrably following Jesus. Just having biblical values is enough to isolate you culturally uh, and socially. And so that's a burden to bear, right? And so we do that for Jesus' sake because he's worthy. Uh, We trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. And so he is worthy of that. Now this is hard. This is not a soft, mushy cell, but we're talking about a, a sermon series right now. On this is about ministering to people, right? Building people who build churches, right? Have you ever t- looked at construction workers, people who build houses, like carpenters? They're not usually softies, right? They're usually they're, they're not usually softies. And so spiritually, we have to toughen up a little bit. We have to exercise our muscles and stay, uh, you know, stay in shape so that we can serve the Lord because we're building people who build churches. And it's, an, it's important to note here that Jesus is the Savior of, of not just some men, but all men. That's what it says there in verse 10. He's the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Uh, notice how he says that. Our Calvinist friends, uh, they, they don't know what to do with that, so they've got to have some sort of uh, workaround the- theologically. But he is the Savior of all men. That doesn't mean he saves all men, because not all men will believe. But he has done all the work necessary to save all men, and the burden is on them. And so, uh, so even if they haven't believed, he is the Savior of all men. So we live in a theological vortex where many teach that Jesus' blood atonement uh, only is sufficient to cover those who believe, and the others are forever damned by the providence and the foreknowledge of God because God delights in sending some to hell and preserving others for heaven. That is actually what people teach. Uh, and it's very popular right now uh, to believe that. As a matter of fact, if you don't take that line of theology, you're considered ignorant and unlearned, uh, of which I'll happy to be considered ignorant and unlearned, because very clearly in the Bible, you have to change what the Bible says, and it's also very ignorant, by the way. It's, it's, an, it's a lack of understanding of grace and love. And, uh, man, Alan Shelby said something at the Certainty Conference that just blew me away when he was talking about why does God allow people not to receive him? Well, because he's the most humble God. I mean, and when he said that, my mind exploded because that's absolutely another attribute to, to the, that equation of God giving all men everywhere a chance to repent, yet men having the, their own 
uh, independent will and volition not to receive it. Because He is the most humble God. And He isn't going to force all that on you. You've got to receive the gift, and you will be accountable for His shed blood, whether you receive it or not. So that is the other side of that equation. In a, in a, in a hall of justice, uh, justice will be served because God is holy and He is just. And that's another side of that coin people don't think about. Yes, sir, Ron? In the book of Ezekiel, you know, God is talking to the nation of Israel. He's saying, why will you die, saith the Lord? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's right. Amen. Yeah, he has no pleasure in it. And again, it is a lack of understanding God's character. Yeah, Jeff? I'm sorry to interrupt. But a cross-reference to what you just read. Uh-huh. First John, chapter 2, verse 2. Yeah, you want to read that? or? Sure. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Yeah. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right. Yeah, you can't get around that. Nope. That's the problem. The Bible, uh, you have to be, you have to, you have to claim Calvin's uh, systematic theology. You cannot claim the Bible because the Bible won't let you. It will not let you get around uh, the fact that God's that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world. And, and so um, it's not that for some reason you get in a four while loop about God's sovereignty uh, when you are in the Calvinistic camp because for some reason you know they just they get locked in a cycle that God's not just God's not holy whatever He's not sovereign um, and it, it doesn't affect any of those things. It's really not an issue of God's sovereignty or God's characteristics at all. It's an issue of understanding men's, how God created man. And, the, and the, we are created in the likeness and image of God. We are unique in creation. That's why we have a chance and a choice to make a difference. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it is, this is important because uh, both the reference that uh, all three references, Ron's, uh, the one Jeff quoted from 1 John, this reference, and there's many more we can look at, um, like John 3.16, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that we could go into. But today there are people that will will really fight you on this. And uh, and at first it doesn't seem like a big deal, but at length uh, it is. It becomes a real problem uh, when it comes to the issue of uh, the theological term soteriology or salvation. And oftentimes it sounds like we're saying the same things, but we're not when we get right down to it uh, because they don't, have, they don't believe in the character of God or the, uh, the way God has created men. And so... Um, so let me get back up. So just uh, just just the blood of Jesus Christ was upon the hands of the Hebrew leadership. To my point, uh, the nation of Israel, Pilate, and the Roman government. The blood of Jesus Christ was upon the hands of Paul at the stoning of Stephen, and it's upon my hands uh, when understanding uh, that Jesus was quickened. To, and uh, I'm sorry, when my understanding was quickened to see that Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God, sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. Now I was dead in trespassing sins before that. But once you understand who Jesus is, you really have a decision to make. You can't you can reject him, but you shouldn't, right? And that tension is there, and it's real. And God gives you the opportunity uh, to receive or to continue in sin and disbelieve, and heap up coals of, of fire against our, and a judgment against ourselves. So the blood of Jesus Christ was upon the hands of Paul, and it was upon my hands. And I knew that when I got saved. That's my experience. I mean, I knew that I needed to make a decision. Uh, certainly, God's Holy Spirit, praise God, was convicting me so i am not saying that it doesn't receive that that uh, the whole that the holy ghost isn't convicting of sin certainly he is and he can convict sinners of sin uh, you don't have to be quickened before you get quickened that's another false teaching of calvinists um 
God can he can he can communicate with whoever he chooses to. He can use the the an ass to communicate with Balaam. So he can he can use the spirit to communicate with lost people their need. But ultimately they make the decision uh, to place their faith in Christ or they reject his his grace and are condemned. So um, I lost my place. So Jesus, he is the Savior of all men, but only those who will believe will receive the forgiveness of sins. So that is not uh, to limit the redemptive power of Jesus' blood, which some would say it is, but to set forth justice in the court of God, as many will stand one day at the great white throne judgment with the blood of the spotless lamb on their hands and try to justify why their dead works were more righteous than the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. So Jesus will say to those... um, many of whom will be religious, and some which will even be members of our church most likely, to depart from me, for I never knew you. Right? They had a religion without a personal relationship with Jesus. And so, uh, man, that is a sad thing to consider. And so, oh, but to those who believe... Right? There are those that believe. Those who rest in the power of Christ, what a joy, what a sweet release to labor and suffer reproach for the one who loved us and died for us. So as I recently, um, you know, um, I'm going to pause before I say this. Well, I'm not going to say that. So, anyway, God God wants to save people in every country, uh, in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And so, uh, it doesn't matter if you live in an affluent country or a country that's not affluent. God wants to save all men everywhere. And so, uh, it's it's worth it to risk whatever it takes to sacrifice to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So... Point two, these things command and teach. So we're now in verse 11. We made it in two verses. These things command and teach. Well, what things? Well, the things that we've just talked about. Command is a strong word, and we are to be uh, insistent that, that God's word is lived out God's way. So, uh, teach, right? Teach, uh, we are to inform the body of Christ how to do this through word and action, right? What we say and what we do. This is why discipleship is best lived out in the context of relationship. Jesus would share the truth with his disciples. Uh, then they walked out the lessons and they, and they experienced through his commands um, and his personal instructions and, and the explanations that he gave what it was to live out his word and to be like him. So it's one thing to command someone to be a fisher of men. It's another thing to show a man how to be a fisher of men. And we need both, right? You need both. You need the command and you need the, someone to come alongside you and help you with that. So I think that brings us to the end of our, our outline, doesn't it? All right. So times like these call for godly ministers to beware and to be good, to hear the rest of the of the uh, of uh, of this in First Timothy four. Next week we'll pick it up. So um, as we as we uh, conclude this, we have seen uh, that a good minister has good recollection, a good diet, good discernment, and good actions. And so uh, we need as many good ministers as possible. And you don't have to be a pastor to be a good minister, right? Anyone who serves under authority is a good minister or can be a good minister if they choose to serve. So uh, so we've seen that a godly minister must beware of seducing spirits, must be a, good, uh, be a good minister of Jesus Christ, and the next time a godly minister must be an example of the believer's And we'll look at that in verses 12 through 16 uh, next week. And we'll try to finish up this chapter. All right, any questions? 
All right, so we'll have a new series of handouts, and away we go. Well, let's uh, pray, and then we'll, I'll, I'll shut off my mic and direct you in some more specific prayers. Heavenly Father, we thank you for time to meet around your word tonight. Thank you for those that went out today, taking it to the streets, inviting people to the harvest party next week and or that is one of the things we need to pray about that you would draw people not only to a harvest party but to a harvest of souls or to the gospel pray for jason as he prepares to preach the gospel at that event next week pray god that you would draw all men um to yourself lord and uh, we just ask lord that you would use the invitations use the social media use whatever means necessary to put it in people's minds and hearts to be here lord and i pray god that uh, that they would come and they would enjoy the the atmosphere but more importantly i pray god that they would come and and experience the the reality of the resurrection of the lord jesus christ and a change of life a a freedom from sin a a knowing that they're forgiven the peace that passes all understanding lord i thank you for your word that's true thank you for these that are here tonight to pray i pray god that our fervent effectual prayer prayer would avail much and Lord, we're so thankful to know you in a way that we can understand and grasp your heart to, to die for people who we, you know will reject you. But Lord, you want to give them every opportunity to succeed in salvation. And Lord, uh, you are guiltless and blameless and harmless, Lord. You are uh, the most holy God. You're also the most humble God. And we just thank you for being such an incredible, uh, just, and loving God. And Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, so God is good, uh, and tonight, uh, just some things to pray about. Oh, I forgot to turn it off, yes. That was 21 minutes.